You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, that you are a God who does not change. We ask that as we continue our time of worship today, that you would draw your people to yourself, that we would see and know your invitation of us to come to you as our God and as our Father. Would you encourage us as we open your word, that we would be encouraged where we feel discouraged, that we would be challenged where we need to grow, that we would, we would be met by the power of your Spirit that changes us. Pray all this as we come to your word, asking for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, River City. We are um, beginning again our study in Luke's Gospel. This is the third uh, round, if you will, of our time in Luke's Gospel. Uh, each spring, the last couple of years, we've carved out some time to slow walk our way through the Gospel of Luke. Um, and today we're going to begin in Luke 11. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke 11. If you need a Bible, uh, some folks from our strike team will be coming around with them. And if you'd like to read along, can slip your hand up. They'll give you one. Um, if you do not have a Bible, you can take one of these with you. We'd love for you to have one. As you're finding Luke chapter 11, a little context to kind of get us back into Luke. Uh, tradition holds that Luke was a doctor, and he wrote down what we know as Luke's gospel and the book of Acts as a two-part account of both the life and ministry of Jesus in Luke's gospel, and then the expansion of the church after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, commissioned his disciples to go and to make other disciples of him, to baptize and to teach and to participate in the expansion of the kingdom that Jesus began. So that's what's happening in Luke and then into Acts, which also written by, written down by Luke. And here in Luke 11, by the time we get here, to catch us back up, Jesus has been teaching and performing miracles in public for a while. So word about Jesus had spread. Uh, people are now curious and interested in this man from Galilee and what he's saying and what he's doing. And crowds would often gather wherever he went. And many of the gospel accounts make note that often Jesus, at the end of a long day of meeting people's needs and showing compassion and healing and teaching, he would pull away, away from the crowds and find a quiet place to, to pray, often by himself. Sometimes he'd pull in those closest to him. And here in Luke chapter 11, Jesus, we see him stepping away to pray. And one of his disciples flat out asks him, Lord, teach us to pray. Which implies a little bit of either we don't know how, or maybe we're not doing this right, but you're doing something different. When you pray, something's happening. Would you teach us to pray like that? I mean, 
This is what we do, right? When we're not sure how to do something, we find someone else who does know how to do that thing and then teach us. I mean, half the time now, we just go to YouTube, but the principle is the same for us, right? If, if I want to know how to replace a faucet or the trap underneath my bathroom sink and I'm having trouble, I will go find someone or ask someone for help. If I need to know how to fix the carburetor on my snowblower or if I want to learn piano, right, I ask someone who knows how to do that thing. Jesus' disciples are doing just that. They observe someone who prays, and they say or ask simply, can you teach me to do that? And more than other areas in our spiritual life, in our spiritual disciplines, we often struggle to pray. So the invitation with a text like this is to ask, right along with Jesus' disciple here, Lord, Would you teach us to pray? And what I hope we find in this text this morning is that Jesus does teach his disciples and teaches us not only how to pray, but in his teaching of them of how to pray is reminding them and reminding us that God, as our Father, invites our persistent prayers and he delights to answer his children with good. That's what I hope we find in our text Today. So let's read uh, Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13, just the end of this first section. Uh, this is the word of the Lord for us today. You can read along, it'll be on the screen as well. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, excuse me, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. This disciple asks, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus, full of compassion, answers that question, the the how. And in fact, He actually answers, I think, two different how-to-pray questions And Jesus also asks the question that the disciple isn't asking, why? Why pray? And so that's going to be how we look at the text today, that Jesus actually kind of gives three answers to his one question of how to pray. One, how to pray practically. Two, how to pray 
posture. What's the posture? Jesus is saying, this is the posture you're to take in your prayers. And three, why pray? Jesus, I think, is answering all three of those questions in this text. So in light of the request, Lord, teach us how to pray and the hidden question kind of underneath that is being asked by this disciple. We ask it because it's often a struggle for us. So let's look at Jesus' answers to his disciple, uh, to his disciples, and the encouragement that we might be able to take as we follow Jesus together as well. First, the question is, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus says, okay. Verse 2. Here's the practical how. When you pray, say this. And then Jesus gives them what is known as the Lord's Prayer. Listen again while I read it. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now we're going to pick apart the, the, the different elements of this prayer, but I, but I want to be clear on two things as we look at this. I believe that this prayer is a prayer both to be prayed as is and is a model for the way we pray. I think it can be both. First, I think it's a prayer to be prayed as is, part because Jesus just flat out says, say this. You want something to pray? Then, then pray this. See, I think there's a, a stabilizing anchor in these words that rightly position us in line with who God is, and thus, it's aligning our hearts with God's heart. So when we pray, we are praying rightly. I think that's part of what these words help us to do. So when Jesus says, pray like this, it's at least in part, at least in part, an invitation to pray along with him. And not just along with him, but to pray along with all the other disciples. And from our position in time and space, we are joining our prayers with brothers and sisters right now all around our community and around the globe who began long before we woke up praising the name of Jesus this morning and all throughout history who have prayed this exact same prayer. It's uniting us as God's people across time and space to pray in unity for the kingdom of God to advance on the earth. Think about that. When we pray this, your kingdom come. We are joining our prayers to brothers and sisters across, across the globe and all through history, asking that God would move to advance his kingdom on the earth. That's pretty cool. So I think that's part of it. However, the other part is I don't think it's only a prayer to be memorized and repeated verbatim. As with any repetition, we can sometimes create unthinking habits. Sometimes unthinking habits are good. Right? We can create good habits. But we can also become so familiar with something, maybe like the Lord's Prayer, that we can say it without really thinking about it or meaning it. So there's a danger there which is why I believe it is also a model for our prayers to help us. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 6, we see this interaction uh, recorded as well, where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And the prayer in Matthew 6 is nearly identical, but not quite. Now, this could be, in part, the perspective of the eyewitnesses who are writing down the things Jesus is saying. And even more likely, I think, is that Jesus probably taught on more than one occasion about how to pray. I mean, remember, Jesus was often found pulled away from the crowds and praying, and his disciples are asking the question, 
What is going on there? It's very likely that Jesus regularly encouraged and taught his disciples about prayer. And so in Matthew 6, Jesus says, pray like this. So it's not only a unifying prayer that we can pray together with sisters and brothers across the globe and all through history, but it is also a framework to shape our prayers. Here's what I mean. Let's look at the, let's look at the prayer in its parts real quick. First, Jesus starts with, Father, hallowed be your name. First thing here is an invitation to address God as Father. And this is pretty significant. It's one thing for God to be the God of our fathers, which is how the Hebrew peoples for years spoke of God. God, the Father, of, uh, uh, the God of our father Abraham, right? He's, he's our God. He's the God of our fathers, the God of our father Isaac, the God of our father Jacob. And yet, it was something else entirely for God to be their father or for us to call him Father, as his beloved children. And then, so as to not diminish God's holiness, even though he is our Father, his name is holy. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is not a word we use regularly, it means honored or revered or holy and set apart. So the pattern for prayer that Jesus starts with, he opens with worship, honoring God for who he is is. That's where Jesus starts his prayer. Second, your kingdom come. The next line in this prayer. It's a simple but significant confession of surrender. Matthew 6 includes your kingdom come, your will be done. But the meaning is the same. Your kingdom, not my kingdom, implied in the words. And this comes on the heels of God's uh, honoring God's name. Your will, not mine. Your kingdom reigns over all. O Lord, would you advance your kingdom here? So the prayer that Jesus teaches opens with honoring God for who he is and then surrendering ourselves and our wills to his. Then, after that, then it shifts to the requests, to the petitions. Verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. Part of what's happening here is in this prayer, it's an outward confession that we are absolutely dependent on God to provide. And it's trust that God will give us exactly what we need. And it's not an accident that the requests for God's provision come after the surrender to His will and His kingdom. We are essentially saying, God, align my heart with yours. Align my will with yours. And according to your will and according to your kingdom, would you be gracious to provide for everything that I need? And then in the same sentence, he continues, give us this day our daily bread and forgive our sins, comma, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I find this Fascinating that these aren't just separate lines, but they're in fact mashed together here a little. It tells us a little bit. First, just like we need food to survive, so we ask for God's provision, a prayer like this recognizes our need for forgiveness and renewal constantly. We need God's forgiveness as much as we need bread is part of what this might be implying. And if we have faith in Christ Jesus 
We trust that we have been transformed. We have been made new creations. And we are being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. The fancy word is sanctification. That is, we are being made more holy as God is at work in us. And so we are confessing that we need forgiveness and renewal. We need a reforming of our hearts as we are growing to look more and more like Jesus. And then there's another comma. That it's not just us being forgiven, which we need, but also there's a confession here that we need God's work in us to be forgiving as, of others as well. This is all one big sentence here. Okay? So here's how they're tied together. Sin incurs a debt, all right? Uh, Our sin against God, when we disregard God, when we disregard His commands, right? The baseline definition of sin, rejecting God and rejecting His commands, what's happening there is we are robbing from God glory. We are committing treason against God and we are creating a debt. Let me put it a different way. If I sin against you, I am taking something from you. Maybe I'm taking dignity from you or or honor from you or peace from you. Maybe if I hurt you physically, I'm actually taking away your health, your physical well-being. Sin takes and creates a debt. And Jesus says, as much as we need bread, we need God's forgiveness, and that is connected somehow to this, not only seeking forgiveness for ourselves, but seeking to forgive. In Luke chapter 7, just a few chapters previous, Jesus draws a connection between this kind of expression of love for someone else and willingness to forgive someone else tied to how much we've been forgiven. Jesus tells uh, these these, uh, Pharisees, you forgive little because you love little. But someone who loves much has been forgiven much. That's the picture here. So to turn that around for this prayer, Jesus is nudging his disciples and us to consider this, that God has extended to you an unbelievable offer of forgiveness. Because you've been been forgiven so much, that now enables you to forgive others and not hold their debt to you against them. O Lord, line up my willingness to forgive others with your forgiveness of me because I need it. That's what's being said here, I think. And finally, Jesus closes, and lead us not into temptation. Now, I don't think this is based on the idea that we think that God might lead us into temptation, but it's a request for God's protection. See, Jesus has warned us in John 10 and other places that there's an enemy who hates us, who seeks our destruction, who seeks to destroy God's glory, and to destroy all those who are made in his image. And so this closing petition is a request, not just for God's provision, but for his protection and his guidance. Notice that the prayer doesn't just say, protect us from evil, but lead us. It's not just the evil part, but lead us. So Jesus then gives us this simple pattern in this prayer. Worship God for who He is. Surrender to His will and to His kingdom. And in light of those two things, ask. Request. And there's lots of acronyms that break out other aspects of prayer. And and some of you maybe take those to heart and use those. And those are all great. For our purposes today, here's the simple pattern. Worshiping God for who He is. Surrendering our wills to His. And then in light of who He is, 
asking for his help? Would you provide for our every need? And Jesus answers their request by teaching them how to pray in very practical terms. But he doesn't just stop there. Jesus then proceeds to give an example that at first glance is kind of strange. Okay? But I think Jesus is still answering the how. Not the practical how, but getting underneath to the posture of one who is praying. This is his second answer. How? How to pray? Well, here's the posture you should take while praying. In this case, I think Jesus is saying, when you pray, be persistent. Look at uh, verses 5 through 8. Jesus uses this example of midnight bread. Here's the idea. You're at home, and a friend comes to your place. Maybe you were expecting them, maybe you weren't, and you open the cupboard because they're hungry after a journey, and you have nothing to feed them. So Jesus says, suppose you have nothing to feed them, and you go to your friend who maybe lives down the street, excuse me, maybe lives down the street, it's midnight, can I borrow some bread? I have friends who came, and I don't have anything to feed them. So you go ask a friend for help, and that friend responds with, are you kidding? It's midnight, I'm sleeping. My kids are in bed, I'm in bed, we're all tucked in, and you want me to get up and give you bread? You with me? This is an odd request. And when I first read this and kept reading this passage over and over again, and I'm like, I've read this before, and every time I'm like, this is an odd request. Like, who would actually get up at midnight and go to their neighbor's house and ask them for three loaves of bread? I don't know. It's an odd request. I don't even like responding to text messages after 9 p.m. I don't. If you text me or Amy after 9, don't be surprised if you don't get a response. I might even look at it and be like, I like this person, but I'm not going to have a conversation at 10.15 and I'll just leave it. So just know that I love you. I'm just not going to talk to you right now. Right? And Jesus says as much in verse 8. Look at verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend. Like, look, man, I love you, but just because we're friends does not mean I'm getting up to give you bread. But the sentence doesn't end there. Yet, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Some translation use the word persistent because the, the, the friend is persistent. But the Greek word actually does translate more towards a disregard for what is proper. It's audacious. You could even substitute the word shameless. So not because he's your friend, but because you are so shameless in your request, the friend finally gets up and gets you what you need. Did you, did you pick up on that? So Jesus then takes that example of a, an odd situation of the shameless ask from the, from the friend to his other friend to help him with his need in the middle of the night. Jesus says this in verse 9, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Jesus is tying that very familiar passage to many of us, ask and seek and knock, and he's tying it to the shameless request of a friend in the middle of the night. Jesus is essentially saying, you can pray like this. <laughs> you can say, Father, call him your Father, I submit to your kingdom and your will, provide for my needs and protect me, and you can do this audaciously, shamelessly, shaking the front gate of the kingdom of God, persistently pleading with God for whatever help you need. 
Jesus is endorsing this kind of prayer. Think about that. Not just the practical how to pray, but the posture or the approach that we have when asking and seeking the Lord. And for some of you, this makes you uncomfortable. Right? It, it maybe offends our Midwestern nice sensibilities. Like, why? Well, I, I wouldn't want to put them out. Like, I'm, I'm imposing now my will and my desire on God. I mean, after all, I, I don't want I don't want to I don't want to push it. And I think this is sometimes for us what makes prayer so challenging. It's not about the the practical how. It's not about the words or the method. It's about the posture. Because something inside of us maybe doesn't really grasp or fully believe that God is our loving Heavenly Father and that we are actually His beloved children. Maybe something inside of us is not fully believing that God actually cares about the things that I care about. Or maybe that He's unwilling to hear and answer the things I'm praying for. Or maybe what's being rooted out is do I really think that prayer does anything at all? But let Jesus' words here draw out of you some of those doubts and toward the truth that not only is Jesus teaching us how to pray, but is reminding us of the core reason of why we should pray, which is the third and final answer Jesus is giving to the question they weren't asking, but I think is the important part of this text and our third point from this text this morning. The question of why. Why bother praying? Listen to what Jesus says after he tells the story about the friend and the bread at midnight. Verse 11, he gives another picture. What father among you, if a son, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The picture painted here is even... Human parents know how to give good gifts, right? I mean, how much do you love it when you, when you thoughtfully pick something out for someone and you give it to them and they open it and their eyes light up like, you remembered or I can't believe you found this or this is amazing, right? You don't even have to be like a gift giver. That doesn't have to be your love language for you to go, I like it when that happens, right? Or maybe you're on the other end, like when someone picks something for you that you're like, oh, how, how thoughtful, thank you. Right? And even, even if we, we get it right at least some of the time, is what Jesus is saying, how much better is God, is what the picture he's painting, who is perfect, who is unfailing, who, who always gives good gifts. See, I think Jesus is pressing in here on the, the heart of the, the man or the woman who is unsure of God's love for them, the goodness of God's purposes, and the reality that God is our Father and we are His children. Because God doesn't just welcome our requests and prayers. He invites them. And there's a difference. He doesn't just put up with our requests. He says, bring them to me. And in fact, He delights to answer. He doesn't merely respond to requests. He responds to His children. So if our prayer life is languishing, let's ask the question why. Maybe it would help uh, to, to like focus our frazzled minds on some, some real practical uh, tools about aligning my mind and my heart with God to offer Him my cares and my needs by like organizing them around, Father, holy is your name, 
your kingdom, your will, not mine. Here's what I got. Here are my needs. Or maybe for you, maybe you need to hear that you're missing out on a huge blessing that is yours as his son or daughter. That you need to be reminded that you don't have to carry around your burdens alone or struggle through by yourself, but that you have a father who cares for you and invites you to come to him with everything. And for some, maybe some of your struggle is really receiving this invitation to deeper prayer. Maybe that's born out of pain and hurt because maybe you have been praying and maybe God has seemed silent or you got an answer, but it was not the answer you were hoping for. And so out of your own grief and maybe a little cynicism that's creeping in, you're not sure what to do with prayer anymore. In fact, you're probably the person in the room who recognized that I haven't yet addressed verse 10. I skipped it until now. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 11, verse 10. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Those are some pretty definitive statements Jesus is making. So what is he saying here? Well, one thing I think he is not saying, Jesus is not saying that prayer is a cosmic vending machine where I put in the quarter of my prayer and push my desired outcome and it drops into the little tray at the bottom and I can just take it with me. It's not what Jesus is saying. Rather, what did Jesus open his prayer with? Coming to God as Father. Who are we asking in verse 10? God. Who are we seeking in verse 10? God. Whose medical, uh, metaphorical door are we knocking on? God's. See, prayer starts and ends on the who. And then we trust the who to fill in the what. See, I believe Jesus actually means what he says. I believe it is a biblically sound statement to say that everyone who asks receives that the one who seeks will find and the one who knocks will get an open door every time. Maybe that feels controversial to you. Because here's the deal. These are all promises about the who. Who is the one who is listening and responding and inviting and welcoming? The reminder here in verse 10 is that God will never ever hit snooze on the cry of his people. He will never hide himself from you and avoid you who is truly seeking him by faith. He will never, never shut the door in the face of one of his own. God always hears every prayer of his children. Now, his answers to us might not be the ones we are seeking but God is not coldly plugging his ears or keeping us at arm's length or standing on the other side of the door hoping we go away. He is always inviting and always listening and always willing to respond in his time according to his will for his glory and for our good. So what do we do when the answer does seem slow or isn't what we would have liked? Pastor and author Tim Keller has a quote that is both comforting and discomforting at the same time, so I'm going to offer it to you so it can discomfort you. If we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what He gives. 
Now, it's not in the Bible. He's just a man. But I find this quote comforting and discomforting. Discomforting because there are things that I have received that I did not ask for. There's lots of things that we receive that we're like, nope, that, that's, I'm sending that back. Do I get free returns? Because that is not what I ordered. Right? We all have that. And so it's discomforting when we struggle and go through trials and receive things. We're like, I didn't ask for that, God. I didn't ask for the cancer diagnosis, God. I didn't ask to lose my job, God. And yet, it's comforting. And here's why. Because perhaps I can rest in the belief that God knows what's good for me and always does what is best. Here's how Jesus frames it. If God is your heavenly Father, a perfect Father, and even if the world's just okayest dad can give a good gift to their kid, how much more good is not just anything that God gives, how much better is everything that your father might choose to give to you? Jesus is saying your father, God, will never give you a snake or a scorpion. That's what he's saying. In fact, Jesus says he does the opposite. He doesn't only give you a fish or an egg or the thing you're asking for. He gives you the Holy Spirit. So if you're in Christ Jesus, you've been given a gift of the Holy Spirit who now lives and dwells within you. It is a, he is a sign and a seal, a reminder of the promise of God's goodness to you. And so every answer of the Father in our prayers... Any gift that he gives flows from this gift of the Holy Spirit, right? So when we pray for healing from sickness, which we should, it is the Holy Spirit. When God decides to answer through those means and heal, it's God's Holy Spirit who applies God's power over creation to renew and to heal. And when we don't experience healing, and instead we have to walk through a season of grief, and we pray for comfort in our grief, it is the Holy Spirit who is our comforter, both comforting our hearts and reminding us of the truth of God's Word. It's the Holy Spirit who does that. And neither of those, whether we are healed or we walk through grief, neither one of those are snakes or scorpions. God does, said this way, God doesn't not give good gifts. Or to say it in a way that makes sense, God always gives good gifts. So it's true. It's true that everything good that we have comes from the hand of God, who is our perfect and unchanging Father. James 1 says it, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every single one, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He does not change. His character is the same. He always gives good gifts to His children which makes us then see Romans chapter 8 in a light that we can get our brains around, that we actually do believe and know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's how these things make sense. These are not mutually exclusive. It's not either or. God is a good father who invites us to bring him all our cares and always gives good gifts to his children. And this might be something that we have to wrestle with, especially in seasons of grief or hardship because it's hard for us to see them. And hear me, 
That's okay. That's okay. But let Jesus encourage you here this morning like he encouraged his disciples. That give us each day our daily bread is more than just a request for God's provision, although it is that. But it is more than that. When we ask for God's provision, we are acknowledging that God, you know what's best for me. Even better than I do. And so my desire is to surrender to your will and to your kingdom for your glory, that your name would be honored, and then trust that that is actually also working for my good. So if your prayer life is on fire right now, awesome. <laughs> Lean into the goodness of God and let a passage like this just fuel your righteous impudence, if I can say it that way, to just keep asking and seeking and knocking and pleading with the Lord. But if you're not sure, let's listen afresh to Jesus. Teach us not only how to pray, but remind you that God, as your Father, invites your persistent prayers, and He delights to answer you with good. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank You that You do delight. You delight to not just hear, but respond to Your children. Not just responding to requests, but because You care for Your children. Great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. We rest in your love for us as we offer to you all of our needs, confessing your holiness and your goodness and asking for your help. I pray that as we come to the communion table that this time of confession and, and prayer would be filled with gratitude as we recognize just the, the lengths to which you've, you've gone in sending Jesus to rescue us, Father. That along with Him, you love us as sons and daughters. So as we do come to the table, we pray you'd breathe life and encouragement into your people for your glory, and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.